Welcome to the new and improved Cup of Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content. If you are enjoying all of the shows, leave us a five-star review and a rating. Tell your friends. It helps other people find us. We have still got all of the series-by-series updates. Yes, even when those updates are bad and the Cubs keep losing series, plus all the bleacher banter that you love here on Cup of Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about why firing David Ross is not the answer, Cubs Twitter, and more for BCB. And as always, I am thrilled to be joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? Uh, it's going okay. Just so you know, firing me off this podcast isn't going to make it any better either. So I, know, stuck with me. <laughs> when I saw that trending last night, and it wasn't just me, it was like everybody in Cubs Twitter land who creates content, like, y'all need to slow your roll. <laughs> Listen, I think it's fair to wonder if David Ross is the right manager to lead the next great Cubs team. I think it's fair to ask that question. What's not fair is to pin it all on David Ross. So you can question some of the lineups, but you don't even know if he's making those decisions. Maybe that's coming from their um, run prevention department or something, you know, uh, why is Nick Madrigal on at third base and Chris Morrell's the, the third, the DH. What sense does that make? Mastroboni over there the other day. Like, there's a lot of reasons you could question some of the decisions that David Ross makes. He doesn't have a good bullpen, so good luck with anybody he throws out there. Like, I can't believe he put in insert bullpen name here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it's it'll be the same result. He might just be unlucky. I mean, it reminds me of like Renteria. You know, like, yes, yes. it seemed like a great manager. People liked him. He was the guy that was going to be good with the young dudes and could train these guys up. And then, you know, they they panic and get mad, which was obviously the right move. But like, it's fair to wonder whether David Ross is the guy. But at the same time, you know, do not say like, if only we fired Ross, this is a team that is, you know, five games above 500. Set a below, or what are we, six games below now? Um, yeah, it's Dude, not good. I, I don't know. I can't keep track with how far. Yeah, it's the, the vitriol around Twitter of about David Ross is uh, somewhat unfair. Yeah, there was a timely piece out today by Ken Rosenthal at The Athletic looking at which managers might be on the hot seat and what does it mean when managers get fired and all of that type of stuff. I actually – uh, would recommend it to everybody. I thought it was a really good piece. I cited it in the piece that I have coming out for Bleed Cubby Blue later today on David Ross's situation, specifically and like what has gone wrong with this team. But I, I want to flag it for listeners because Ken Rosenthal talks about a lot of things, but three of them seem really appropriate to this conversation to me. The first is that if you go back and look at when managers have gotten fired in the middle of the season, everybody remembers the times where it worked, like the Phillies fired Joe Girardi and then they turned it around and everything was great, but they don't remember the times it didn't work, right? Like the angels were better under Joe Madden than they were after they let Joe Madden go. Uh, The Rangers did not like magically become a great team last year because they fired. I don't even remember who it was, whoever was managing the Rangers for the start of last season before they hired the next guy. And so, you know, it works out like 50, 50, like 50% of the time. It's not one of those things that works all of the time. We just have a bias towards remembering the times when it worked. However, even beyond that, when you're looking at what 
happens when you fire a manager in the middle of the season, what usually happens is you fire, you, you hire internally, right? Like you don't go out, you don't like run a search or something like you're hiring the next man up, which in this case would be Cubs bench coach, Andy Green, who by the way, wasn't that good of a manager with the 2019 Padres. He was fired for lack of communication and not having a good rapport with the team and all of those types of things. I just, can't imagine that there is anybody on this very collaborative structure that the Cubs have built where like all of the front office people interact with the managerial team. And like you mentioned, who is even setting these lineups? Is the lineup set from the front office? Is the lineup set from David Ross? Like yeah, the magical being third baseman is probably something that's coming from a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I just really don't think that the answer to fixing this Cubs team is on the current coaching staff. So then you have to wonder, like, who even would take that job? What would that replacement look like? And no, people, it should not be Joe Girardi. Like, we just went over the fact that he was one of the guys that got fired and it was a success. Come on now. There was a time which I think Joe Girardi might have been a decent choice to helm the Cubs. It is not this moment. It just and, – and maybe the game – has somewhat passed him by as far as managing in this, in this current environment. Um, the way that they, the Cubs, like you said, the structure that they built, I think that's an interesting way to put it because with the pitch lab and, you know, I, I'm sure it's zoom calls and daily meetings and going over uh, spin rates and uh, hard hit rates and barrels and, and all that stuff that they just measure everything and they're looking at it system wide from single a on up in the, the development of these players. And they've got a five-year plan. I mean, it is a very kind of corporate structure and I know that other teams work this way, but the difference is, is like with somebody like a Joe Madden or like Bruce Bochy who took over at it for the Rangers, you're inserting in at least one of those positions a hard-nosed baseball brain who simply goes uh, who doesn't go simply by the numbers they actually play the game where i think that if you could like i was saying um this morning on the cubs pod which is the sun rantos daily uh patreon show uh that it feels like everything's done almost exclusively by the book miles mastroboni hits from the left side we get it does that mean he's the right choice to start at third base or in right field or wherever they're putting Miles Mastroboni that day because there's some metric, oh, we're facing a righty, so pull the lefty out there. Are you telling me that right-handed Patrick Wisdom against a righty pitcher is so much worse than a left-handed Miles Mastroboni? Because I don't see that. But if the that's what the data is spitting out, that's what the Cubs are going to do. I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, we're losing. <laughs> and you're <laughs> so I don't really care what the data says. Joe Madden's going to be like, no, you play your best third baseman at third base all the time. Whenever he's healthy and feeling good, you suit him up and you put him at third. I don't care that he's a lefty uh, who to replace him. That doesn't matter if you're a lefty who hits 186. <laughs> It doesn't matter. So, uh, you know, so I don't know if the computers are wrong. 
you know, ChatGPT is is spewing out a lot of garbage. Maybe ChatGPT's making the lineups. It's lineup GPT. <laughs> lineup GPT. You know, Joe Madden needs a job. I wonder if Joe Madden would be interested. No, I'm just kidding. Like, seriously, people, I don't think David Ross is going to lose his job in the short term. No. Maybe if something disastrous happens. Like, there were some times where I was like, dude, why are there so many bunts? Why is Eric Hosmer still in this lineup? Why is Eric Hosmer batting ahead of Christopher Morrell and Matt Mervis when the whole point was calling up young bats who were doing a good job in AAA and seeing what they could do to, to make this lineup hum a little bit? And, and like those types of decisions are the types of decisions that make you question a manager. And also, if you go and look at some of the things that are out there, how this team has put together uh, what they have done, the, the coaching staff, everything else, and the quotes that exist about the managers in play. I mean, I just really don't think David Ross is in any jeopardy, at least until the end of the season. Like he might be in some jeopardy at the end of the season, depending on how things go. But I just don't think there's a mid-season firing coming here. This is the uh, little tidbit from that athletic piece on David Ross. It says, this is Ross's fourth season and the Cubs expected improvement, if not quite contention, as they climbed out of their rebuild. Their 11-6 start built optimism, but they since have gone 9-20, and 20, making playing a number of close games that have magnified Ross's in-game decision-making. Which isn't to say that Ross is in trouble, not when he signed through 2024 with an option for 2025 and continues to receive public support from the president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer. As Sahadev Sharma wrote in a recent mailbag, I don't think Hoyer views Ross as a placeholder, and I don't think he's anywhere near being on the hot seat. And if you go and click through on that Sahadev piece, you'll see like, five or six different mailbag questions, probably from all the people that we're reading on Twitter who want to fire David Ross, who are like, why is Ross still there? And, and Sharma's like, no, no, it's he's fine. <laughs> yeah, and th I think he is. And I and as you brought up at the beginning, who the heck are you going to replace him with? Andy Green? Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense uh, why, they would, why they would do that. And it doesn't make the team better. And that's the thing. It's like the play – you can question some of the in-game decisions, but – Look at the players he has to use. You've Boxberger, Bulmer, Leiter, yeah. Rucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's and and it's like they did not build a high end bullpen. So you're like, man, he's making the worst bullpen decision. So everybody's screaming about Alzali. Alzali needs to be the guy. He's the best one, and it's true. He has been one of the better arms out of the bullpen. Now you make him the closer. Now you're ruining the idea of doing maybe two innings or uh, a th maybe a three inning piggyback. He used to be a, a starter for God's sakes. You could get multiple innings out of Alzali. Um, two is probably his wheelhouse one time through the order, probably the right way to do him. You, you know, you want to give him the best matchups, but then he blows the game the other day. And I wouldn't even say he blew the game because the, they Phillies scored runs and the Cubs didn't. So, uh, you give up a home run in the seventh inning. Sure. You end up getting the, getting the loss, but you're now you're this guy who you think is going to be your high end arm. He's not the answer to the, the back end of the bullpen or, or to the closing situation. None of them are, they're not good enough. You don't have the guy. So you can't put it on Ross. Then you can, you, you can spread the blame around. In fact, you know, yes, uh, let's fire Jed Hoyer. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, Jed Hoyer maybe should, didn't deserve this job. Like, in the first place, there was no interview process. They just handed the job right to him um, after being Theo's right-hand man. And then they, the only person they brought over was Carter Hawkins from uh, Cleveland. And 
and you got to give that a moment to with the drafts and these guys come through drafted a ton of pitching. Maybe it's going to work. We're kind of seeing these guys show up um, a little bit at the higher ends of the minors. Maybe it, maybe it works out, but you know, I'm not certain that Jed will listen. Nobody said we were going to be good. That's the other thing. I I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of a theme in my piece that'll be out uh, later this afternoon. It's like, this is a 500 team people. And 500 teams mean the following. Sometimes you look really good for a stretch of like 10, 15 games. And sometimes you look really bad for a stretch of 10 to 15 games. A two and seven road trip is bad. It's not good. Nobody's happy about it. The fact that the Cubs have not won a series since the Cinco de Mayo series that they played against the Marlins at Wrigley Field is atrocious and sad. And I'm not happy about it. And also, this team is not the Oakland Athletics. They don't have like a 2-2-2 win percentage, and that's going to be their whole season. They're going to have a stretch probably soon that corrects that where they go like 11-6 again, like they did to start the season. And then we're all going to get excited and be like, oh, look, this team over the last 30 games was like 20-10. and 10. Look, they have a shot. And at the end of the day, when it all shakes out, they'll probably be right around 81 and 81 or 79 and 82 or 78 and 83 because this is a 500 ball club people and that is what you got that is the team that they put together and constructed and built oh and the trade deadline is not that far away as well so you might be looking at a very different team after that because they do have pieces in their last years to sell off um you've got uh, Bellinger is the most obvious one. And I know there's some rumors about re-signing him, but I, d- I don't see that happening. I really don't. Um, the, 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 then you got Stroman who has his own option. You've got, you've got guys like Smiley who's pitching great and who is on an, who's it's all options. Like it's the, he could come back, I guess maybe the, the rumor is he likes us because we, rehabbed him and that he would just keep coming but these are all options things he's cheap if there's a if there's a team out there willing to overpay they'd be stupid not to listen to that you know if you can get some deal for some guy that you're not going to use in an in an unfortunately non-competitive year in a down year for the central which is a little frustrating because you're like this this isn't a winnable winnable division if you were even if just pay maybe 20 million more for a bullpen and you're you've now you are winning on those margins. You're two and ten in one run games right now. Maybe you win half of those games more, and you're like six and six, something like that. You know, looks a lot different at this point. Now you're only a few games back, and you're not digging yourself a hole. But when that trade deadline hits, and you look at some of the the dudes that they have on those one year contracts, you might be seeing some some dudes move or places where. Maybe somebody needs a slugger. Like, I mean, they'd probably keep morale over wisdom, but I could see wisdom being packaged in something like that. Or, you know, they're trying to do something with Madrigal. You know, they're <laughs> the like. The only reason he's playing third base all the time. Yeah, he's just going to be a throw in like Vic Caratini, you know, or something like that. And then go on and rake with that team. Um, and you know what? Madrigal could be good if he's used properly, which is he's not on the Cubs. So you don't you don't know like what they're showcasing here, and it just feels like they're, um, yeah, it feels like you can't blame uh, Ross because I don't feel like he would ever make out these lineups in the way that they are they are being made out. 
like even having a getaway day lineup on a Sunday when you haven't won a series in a long time, that there's no real pressure to maybe go out there. And, and when you've got a struggling pitcher like Ty, Taiwan Walker, who has been bad this year, you allow him to get his ERA down by a run. And he was in the sixes before, like he, he was terrible before he faced the Cubs. Well, part of that is, I mean, that's, that's on the Cubs. Like they, you've got to hit, let's just jump into these games. I mean, yeah, you're starting okay. at the end. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Cause that first game kind of rocked Danny. I was like, ah, oh, this is the team that I want to see. Look at them putting up crooked numbers. This is great. 10, one win over the Phillies. Uh, I was excited in that first game in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I must point out that it was another – we did another game hang in the Discord, and the only two wins that we got on the road trip were during Sunranto <laughs> Discord game hangs, one of which you attended. And uh, we won – we beat Minnesota 6-2, and we beat Philly 10-1. to It was a lot of fun uh, watching that. I kind of forgot how fun it is to win baseball games because it had been a while. And, um, yeah, they had a, a position player pitching – Roger Clemens' son uh, is not a pitcher in the major leagues, but he is a second baseman and um, th- doesn't take after dear old dad with, with the arm, it seemed. He was throwing some uh, some rainbow pitches up there. It's a real Ephus look. Um, yeah, Cubs came alive. Uh, Christopher Morrell, win or lose, is out there hitting home runs. Every He's day, so good. this kid is. Yeah, I mean, he has eight home runs in eleven games, Danny. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's uh, really incredible. Horner came back. I think I was kind of hopeful when he comes back, and then he scored ten runs. I'm like, ah, that was it. We had remember how we were all excited that we finally had a leadoff hitter again, and Nico Horner. And um, well, then he got injured and then we all, everything fell apart. And then he came back and we won so big. And I was like, here we go. We're back. Nico, Nico, we go, you know, like that old you go, we go with Dex. It was Nico, we go. I was, I was thinking to myself, but no, that was not the case. I ended up losing the other two games, but this game was at least fun because Horner at the top of the lineup, three for six, four ribbies. Um, yeah. Suzuki coming back to life as well. Uh, I believe, uh, no, he, this wasn't a game he homered, but Suzuki has been on fire. When we get to the Cubs hot hitters, uh, you are going to see that say Suzuki has really turned it on. And actually that's one of the things, I mean, it kind of feels, I'm like, stop wasting this like hot offensive stretch from Suzuki and Morrell who are absolutely killing it right now. Like somebody else step up and join them so that the Cubs can win some baseball games. Yeah, that, that game was great. Um, but notably did not rely on the bullpen even a little bit at all because you had like a nine run lead in the late innings. So there was no pressure on anyone there in the second game, dude, is Jamison Tyon. Okay. Like if, if this is something he has to be hurt or something, right. This is not, this is not tenable. No, it was, he was hurt and he's, and he's not pitching any innings, which is what we were promised is that, he was, um, you know, going to be an innings eater. They have him for four years, which, I mean, I've seen my fair share of guys off to a ratty start as a Cub. You Darvish got off to a bad start, if you remember. There are a lot I of do. a lot of guys, dude. John Lester was bad 
at the beginning of his Cubs career. We've seen it a lot. Entire years go by when the guy is bad in his first year as a Cub. I don't know what that's about. It's change the scene or whatever. But, yeah, you're a little worried when you see something where it doesn't seem like Jamison Tyone has it at all. Like, and what happened? Because he was good with the Yankees last year, and that's a hitter's park. What's going on? Like, Dude. I have no idea, but I was watching this game at Gallagher Way because the weather was gorgeous and they were having dog days at Gallagher Way. And and shout out to all the amazing dogs that were just running around and making my life joyous on Saturday. And I was about to like walk home to watch the Cubs game. And then they put the Cubs game on the big screen. I was like, I don't even have to choose. I can play with these dogs and I can watch the Cubs game and everything is great. I looked up. The bases were loaded. Kyle Schwarber was coming to the plate. And I was like, oh, dear God, I know how this movie ends. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it ended that way. And, yeah, the game was over before it started. Um, that was, hey, it freed up my afternoon, I'll tell you that much, because then I I paid scant attention from there on in and spent the day mixing the the new Bleacher Bum band album. Um, a uh, CD release on June 17th. So put that in your calendar. It's it's uh, and we'll be releasing songs little by little, but I was working on that instead. And I was glad because I'm like, I got a lot done instead of having to watch this terrible Cubs game. Um, that basically was, I mean, you're not giving yourself a chance at all at that point. Um, yeah, but Morell did Homer. <laughs> Miles Mastroboni pitched in this game and, and his ERA is a shocking one Oh eight. At this moment in time, that's what Miles Mastroboni is doing. Um, well, he hits he hits like a pitcher, so it kind of makes sense. I mean, he was really like there were. Mo- I think he was throwing like forty seven miles per hour. It was it was truly truly embarrassing uh, to watch. The third game was just. I mean, it was kind of heartbreaking. Like Justin Steele came out and absolutely shoved Christopher Morrell with the late game heroics and another home run because that's just what Christopher Morrell does now. And nobody else really could get things going. Actually, that's not true. Say I had that great defensive, like, double play from right field. That was pretty cool. Well, I mean, that's but yeah, but what was Nick Castellanos thinking? I mean, he, <laughs> he's not fast. I mean, it was funny because I heard the, the Phillies commenters in the highlights talking about that he has good speed. And I was like, he who told that. you that? Yeah, I thought you watched this team, Phillies broadcasters. Like, guess not. You're either that, that or you're delusional. Yeah, he's... He does not. Um, yeah, I mean, Morell tries to get you back into it. Wisdom pops up. And that brings me to, like, the bad roster decisions or lineup decisions because you – I get you start with the lefty, I guess, Mastroboni starting at third base. And then – well, I, I brought this up on Cubs Pod this morning as well. And then that is out of the, the seven, eight, nine spot. Um, it, this is your getaway day lineup a day before a day off. So everybody's getting the day off. Like you're telling me Gomes can't be in there or whatever, but I guess that's just how this is going. But out of this, you had Mastroboni at third base. Then you pinch hit Madrigal at third base. And this is out of the eight spot. And then you pinch it for the one at bat to try to get the heroic home run wisdom at the very end of the game. He pops up. Um, batting seventh is Mervis and you pinch it Mancini. So, and then Barnhart just bats all game for reasons. So, um, and he did have a walk, so we'll give him some credit, but out of the last three spots in the Cubs lineup, 
six players played. So it doesn't really, I mean, what are we doing? Like you could have just had, I mean, hell do that with the DH. If you want the, the third baseman could have stayed the same Christopher Morrell or Patrick wisdom. Why are you giving a guy with the 868 OPS 300 points higher than all those other players I just mentioned? Why are you only giving him the one at bat? And I understand he's been streaky, but let's get him on another streak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of hard to start a new power streak when you're on the bench all the time. I mean, I, it was just a frustrating road trip because honestly, Danny, they lost in every way possible. They got blown out. They had a huge lead that the Astros came back from. They had leads in games and then they lost them. They tied games and then they lost them late. They, I mean, just every possible way <laughs> that you could lose games, the Cubs did it in these nine games. And so, I mean, that was just a brutal stretch of a week and a half. Well, of Cubs and it baseball. resulted in a lot of uh, roster moves and it resulted in the DFA of Eric Hosmer. It resulted in Keegan getting sent down. It resulted in Hayden Wisniewski getting sent down. Um, and I guess Hendo might be on his way back soon. Hey, he was hitting 90.2 miles per hour. Yeah. That is not 92 miles per hour. That is 90.2 miles per hour in his last start in Iowa. And that I don't think Kyle Hendricks has thrown a pitch over 90 miles per hour in two or three years. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the signs point uh, to that he'll, he'll be back sooner than later. He, I don't know how many innings he's had or how many they want him to get down there, but they're going to need him at this point because if Tyone's not performing and you're the back end of your bull or the back end of your rotation, like your Wisniewski is not going to be who you were hoping he would be, then yeah, I mean, you're going to need Kyle. Like for a while there, it seemed like they were going to have a make to make a tough decision what to do when Kyle came back. Now it's like, nope, you're our number two again. <laughs> Well, welcome buddy. back, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> welcome back to being to being Kyle. We need you for eight innings, please. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, things we need, we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. On the flip side, we will look at a the return to Wrigley Field. The Mets are coming to town for three games against the Cubs starting on Tuesday night. We'll look at the pitching matchups there. We will also look at the hot and cold hitters for both the Mets and the Cubs. Uh, but first, a quick break. All right. We're back. So, you know, I've been making jokes the last few series that the Cubs have been fixing teams that were struggling. Like they fixed the Astros. They fixed the Twins. They <laughs> fixed the Marlins. They fixed Cardinals. the Cardinals. They've been fixing everybody. They fixed the Phillies just now. Uh, the Mets fixed themselves before <laughs> they saw the Chicago Cubs. The Mets have had a really uh, tremendously exciting series against the Rays where they've won a bunch of one-run games and they're coming in hot against the Chicago Cubs, who are definitely not hot right now. This has all of the ingredients of a potential disaster, and I'm hoping that maybe the Cubs can get some magic from Wrigley Field or something like that. But um, the probable pitcher matchups for these games starting Tuesday night will be Kodai Senga. The Cubs getting the first look at Kodai Senga uh, that, they've, that they've had as a team against Drew Smiley. Tyler McGill against Marcus Stroman, and then Carlos Carrasco against Jamison Tyon. I cannot believe the Cubs are going to run Jamison Tyon out there again after the last few starts. Danny, what do you see in these probable pitcher matchups? Yeah, well, that last game, uh, I was talking about it with my friend, Uncle Mike, big Mets fan, and he was on the Sun Ranto show last night. And um, 
Yeah, he's it, he was kind of laughing about. We were laughing about uh, DJ Carrasco. He's got an 868 um, ERA going against uh, Tyone, who's got an 810. So the, the quite the marquee matchup <laughs> game three of this one. I would skip that one, take the over. Um, yeah, not it's not um, not great, but to, uh, not tonight, but Tuesday's game. Senga, I'm excited to uh, to see that. I'm going to this game. Smiley's been awesome for us, and he's only had one stinker on the year, and it was for his first game. He's been great since then. Um, just we're. I mean, pitching, I mean, he might be our best pitcher right now. Him and Steele um, both have been – Steele's got a 220 ERA. Uh, Smiley's got the 286. So, they, he's – you know, we had him as our number four. He is not. He's pitching way, way ahead of that. And Kodai Senga, I mean, he's somebody who I was kind of hoping the Cubs were going to get. Me too. And it's it's a shame that he went to the Mets. The Mets got everybody. And um, they're still just a, two games over 500 right now, even though they have um, won, let's see, five straight, I think, at this point. And so they – and here's what's kind of frustrating to me. It's like he signed – and he's older. Senga's older. He's got, like, the ghost fork pitch and stuff. But the, the Mets gave him a five-year – or no, a six-year contract. So he's signed – with a team option of 2028 for $15 million a year, which is, isn't that less than what they signed Jamison Tyone for? Yeah. The Cubs signed Tyone for, I think nine fifty six, or for four, sorry, four years, 56. Okay. So the, but he's making like 18 million this year, I think. So maybe it's, Hold on. Let me look up Jameson. I, you know, I don't got know. it right here. Um, I keep messing up the Jameson Tyone contract every time I talk about it. Four years, 68 million. I don't know why I have 56 in my head. Yeah. Well, he's making 14 million this year. He's making 18 million, all the, the rest. So you give the extra year to Sanga. And I mean, I, I mean, he's older than Tyone is, uh, but you know, I mean, by like, four years so there's that I, I mean no actually he's only 30 what am i I'm, i was looking at the wrong guy yeah he will be 35 at the end of his contract whereas jameson tyone will also would have been 35 at the end of his contract had he been received five years they're the same age is what i'm trying to say but they went with tyone and doesn't seem to be working out so far and if you look at like and i i know that japanese pitchers and japanese hitters and coming from a different country where you might maybe don't know the players um, in the, in the new place, like maybe that that's not going to be an easy transition all the time. But I mean, this dude in Japan was freaking amazing. And um, he never had an ERA over three pretty much his whole time. Um, I just, I mean, what's done is done. (laughs) I'm actually, so, you know, he's getting paid less. I'm going to try to frustrating. Yeah, I'm going to talk myself out of something I was just going to talk myself into a little bit. So one of the stats that fantasy baseball types really like is K minus BB percentage. And so you're basically taking like the the number, the percentage of times that somebody strikes out somebody versus the percentage of the time that they walk somebody to kind of get a proxy on like whether that person is a great pitcher or not. And, And I was going to bring this up for today's show because there are a handful of guys on the Mets who have just some really abysmal 
K minus BB percentages. Like you generally want that number to be in the double digits. You want to have like a 15% or 20% uh, K minus BB strikeout to walk uh, number because that means you're striking out way more guys than you walk, right? That's pretty intuitive. Um, For the Mets, they are throwing some guys in this series that just have really bad K minus BBs. Tyler McGill strikes out 17.5% of the batters he faces. He walks 11.5% of the batters he faces. There's a 6% gap there. That is not great. Uh, but Carlos Carrasco is even worse. He he strikes out 12.8% of the batters he faces, and he walks 11.6% of the batters he faces, which means that if you're a team that has any level of patience whatsoever, like you can probably get an edge on against uh, both Carrasco and Miguel. For the Cubs, actually, all of their guys have pretty great K minus BB percentages. And that, that includes Jamison Tyone, who is striking out 21.3% of the batters he faces and walking only 7.9% of the batters he faces. And I really think I need to do a deep dive on what is going on with Tyone here. I don't know if it's like a pitch shape thing or if it's a pitch selection thing or something else is going on. Because frankly, most of these numbers look really good with the exception of he currently has a 369 BABIP, whereas every other Cubs starter has like a 237, 267, 275 BABIP. And his ERA is 810 off a 494 FIP, whereas every other Cubs starter is has an ERA that is lower than their FIP, which is what you would expect with a really good defensive team behind you. So something is going on where Jamison Tyon is getting just absolutely rocked with hard contact that the defense can't handle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because the whip is high, 1.725. Um, he's giving up a lot of hits is what it is. And um, but you're Not right. walks, like, though, notably. I mean, like the Mets are giving up a lot of walks, which yeah. you would think would be would bode well for the Cubs, right? Yeah, well, I mean, they've also their starting pitching has been with like Scherzer got suspended. And then um uh, what else happens? There's Verlander was hurt Verlander at the start of the season. Hurt. Yeah, Carrasco then, was hurt for a bit. Yeah, and so there's they've they've been kind of been going through the ringer, but you know they're they're probably hopping now. I mean they are they're, they've won five straight against some pretty good teams. So, um, well, and I was just on the sleeper and the bust with Justin Mason and Jason Collette uh, yesterday, and I think it was one of those dudes, maybe Jason, who has some really cool stats looking at like each team in terms of how many stolen bases they're giving up and whatnot. Anyway, I bring this up to say the Mets give up a lot of stolen bases. So I would be looking for the Cubs to run against this Mets team that has been given up a lot of stolen bases. Yeah, they have they they've they've only thrown out 14% of runners and the Cubs are have uh, thrown out uh 30% of runners, which is fourth best and the Mets are do- towards the bottom of the league. And but they still do catch it. Um they they uh have the third fewest errors in the major leagues. So they they are pretty good defensively. What's kind of surprising um when I looked up some of the stats uh, between the two teams is the Cubs offensively they're they're better in almost every category on the year um OPS homers they take more walks they do strike out more um Cubs steal more bases Cubs scored 15 more runs than the Mets you know although that number has now changed because they uh, played last <laughs> night um the, but uh no it's uh the the pitching the bull, our bullpen has a better ERA you know like but they're both bottom third so the Mets have the number one payroll in baseball and they've been playing 
basically 500 ball, even with all that talent and the injuries, I think have made a difference. And so have um, suspensions of their ACE, but, uh, but, but at least we don't have to face the ACE. <laughs> no, uh, no Verlander, no Scherzer in this series. Um, although Singa has really been the best pitcher for the Mets so far. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Let's talk a little bit about who's been hot uh, and who is not on the Chicago Cubs. I just, I cannot say enough good things about Christopher Morrell. And I knew that Christopher Morrell was on a bit of a burner in Iowa to start this season. And I, I was curious if he'd be able to sustain it when he came up to the Chicago Cubs. And, and he's not only sustained it, he just gets better and better and better every time I look at him. Christopher Morrell over the last two weeks has a WRC plus of 252. To put this in perspective, when I was editing this document and looking at those numbers from the week before or from the last time we did this, it was like at 233. So he's literally gotten better in that time period than he was before. The man in the last two weeks is slashing 370, 396, 957. That is his slugging, not his OPS. His WOBA is 556, Danny. He is out of control, amazingly good, and I am here for it. Well, and he hit a home run, I think it was on Friday night, on an off-speed pitch outside the zone. And and so it wasn't just meatballs that he's connecting on. He also walked twice. So if you got to come in there, like you might be end up being walked as much as Barry Bonds uh, because nobody wants to face you if you're hitting home runs at this clip. I mean, can the man be stopped? I mean, we all expect it will end up – I mean, he's striking out a lot. But I, I don't care how he makes outs. Do you know who else gets out eight out of ten times? Miles Mastroboni at third base. <laughs> you know what I mean? Eight out of ten times, he's just out. So do I care four out of ten times that Christopher Morrell is out on a strikeout? Sometimes I'll care. But I don't really care if you're hitting a home run a game. And if not that, a double. And if not that, you're taking a walk. And he's also got a couple singles. I mean, it's not like it's just the home runs. He's doing other things. Um, it's just that he, when he makes an out, it is going to be a strikeout. That's okay. I'm, I'm cool with it. I mean, he is striking out 37.5% of the time, which is very high. The thing that jumps out to me at, about Christopher Morrell on his StatCast page, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. Last year, he hit 274, 260, 503 against fastballs, but... He was slashing 197, 206, 368 against breaking stuff and 190, 222, 357 against off-speed stuff. Now, he has only seen 11 off-speed pitches this year, so I'm going to I'm going to bypass that slash line for a second. These are his fastball and breaking numbers so far. Against fastballs, Christopher Morell is slashing 355. Um oh, that's not an on-base percentage, that's expected batting average. So ignore that on-base percentage number. My apologies. He's he's batting 355, slugging 935 against fastballs. Uh <laughs> against breaking stuff. Remember, last year he hit 197 and slugged 368 against breaking balls. Against 55 breaking balls so far this season, he's batting 500 with a slugging of 1250. So he figured out the breaking stuff. <laughs> like, don't throw Christopher Morella curveball and expect to get it out. Yeah, I mean, and it's it hasn't been that much, too. Like, as you said, it's been mostly fastballs. I mean, they probably just shouldn't throw him any fastballs. 34% of the pitches he's seen are breaking pitches, and he is destroying them. He hasn't seen that many off-speed pitches. Yeah, and, you know, I see that. Yeah, 11, 
he's only seen 11. Yeah. To... He, and he has done nothing against them. Yeah. So maybe they just throw him. I mean, what even is the uh, off speed pitch versus a breaking pitch? You know? Yeah. So um, a fastball is considered a four seam, two seam cutter or sinker. Off speed is the split, change, fork, or screwball. Breaking is a slider, curve, knuckle, sweeper, slurve, or other. Okay. Yeah. So a change up. I mean, you got to have something that you're changing up off of, though. So you're going to have to, I mean, you could start with a change, I guess. Yeah. You got to throw a fastball eventually, and good luck. Well, doesn't it, uh, Senga's got that ghost fork, right? So that could be problematic for Mr. Be, maybe, maybe we won't see Christopher Morell tomorrow. And be like, hey, we're not going to give him the fork ball, man. See him later in the game because, of course, <laughs> Nick Madrigal's your starting third baseman or Miles Mastroboni. I'm sure Nick Madrigal will do excellent against uh, the fork ball. Actually, I'm not sure about that. Nick Madrigal is one of the coldest bats on the Cubs. Uh, he, Matt Mervis, and Cody Bellinger have been your coldest bats in the last two weeks and change. Although that's a little unfair to Bellinger, who's been on the injured list for yeah, part of hard. that time. The other guy I want to talk about who has been red hot, though, is Seiya Suzuki, who has his WRC plus in the last two weeks up to 202. And Seiya Suzuki has just been great, man. Like, he has... He's been slashing 333, 431, 714 over the last 50 plate appearances with four home runs. You love to see Seiya Suzuki heating up. Yeah. And, you know, except for just like a little bit of a slow start because he didn't have his spring training. Um, he's been great. He had that one series where he hit into like 50 double plays <laughs> against the Marlins. But since then, he's been awesome. Uh, Absolutely. Dansby Swanson is your other hot hitter for the Cubs. He's got WRC plus of 144 over the last two weeks and change. Yeah. And uh, he didn't do anything in yesterday's game, um, but um, actually he had one of the hits, but he, he didn't do much in this series. Um, So th those might be a little bit older numbers. I don't know. It's, you know, Dansby, he, he's quietly doing well. But it's hard to – Christopher Morell does it a lot with a lot more flair, so you're going to notice Morell doing it, whereas Dansby's pretty just solid. And I like what he's doing, but, um, man, it's like when you're, with, when you're losing so many games, it's just tough to appreciate any of it. It is. It's really hard to appreciate it. And it almost feels like they're wasting some of that, like, energy and, like, the, like the good vibes that they're getting from – Morrell and Suzuki. Hopefully they will not be wasting those um, this series and they can get something going against the Mets because, man, it has been rough uh, on the north side of Chicago. The Mets have some hot hitters of their own. Francisco Alvarez, their top prospect catcher um, who got called up earlier this season after injuries to Thomas Nito and Omar Narvaez. He is slashing 265, 359, 676 with a WRC plus of 180 over the last Two weeks, he's been sharing playing time with Michael Perez. And Gary Sanchez just got called up to catch for the Mets. It would be interesting to see if Gary Sanchez gets a look in this series. That's a dude you can run on. I mean, he is not the best defensive catcher in baseball. Lots of pass balls, lots of not great game calling. I'd be curious to see what the Cubs did if Gary Sanchez gets a turn behind the plate. Pete Alonso is slashing... 208, 333, 583 with just a bunch of home runs lately. <laughs> so six home runs over the last two weeks, WRC plus of 151. And then Starling Marte and Brett Beatty, who is their third base uh, prospect that got called up earlier this season, round out the hot hitters for the Mets with WRC pluses of 116 and 115, respectively. Anything you're looking for there, Danny? 
Yeah, I'm looking to not let Pete Alonso hit home runs. <laughs> I agree. Let's let's keep Pete Alonso from mashing at Wrigley Field. That is Didn't your he main... destroy baseballs the last time he was at Wrigley. Oh, he destroys baseballs everywhere he goes. <laughs> this is not exclusive to any one ballpark. The guy leads the freaking league, so you know. Yeah, don't throw Pete Alonzo meatballs, please, people. That would that would be great. Don't, and don't some guys, any, don't throw him any balls. <laughs> well, oh, you just want to walk him. You want to give him yeah, the Bryce yeah, Harper treatment. Yeah, don't let him hit. I mean, yeah, just don't give him anything. <laughs> uh, the twenty-three. He walks okay. He's 20, 23 walks. Just add to that. Pad that stat for him. <laughs> Some guys who have been struggling on the Mets. Mark Canna has a WRC plus of 79 over the last two weeks. Brandon Nimmo has a WRC plus of 76. Jeff McNeil, who's not usually on this list, uh, is batting 288, but his WRC plus is 68. Daniel Vogelbach, uh, who may not see a ton. Uh, well, I guess, I don't know. The Cubs are throwing a lot of righties, so we may see a bit of our old friend Daniel Vogelbach. He's been mostly in a platoon situation these days. WRC plus of 61 over the last couple. Uh, our favorite Tommy Pham. Tommy Pham has a WRC plus of 48 over the last two weeks. Yeah, they've been struggling, as I kind of mentioned earlier, that the, the Cubs have uh, better offensive numbers in almost all categories than the Mets do. So theoretically, yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, all that run differential stuff, you know, that we're all talking about, all these positive stats that, you know, Tyone's FIP, like we're all just supposed to be all, all, it's all rainbows and unicorns over here. Let me tell you stat wise, just not win wise. That's just been the issue. Like if some of these things start evening out into wins, then maybe you believe in it a little bit more, but the Mets they've underperformed offensively for this year. That is that's that much is true, but not Pete Alonzo. He's, he's fine. Well, if Pete Alonzo uh, walks or hits any bombs uh, at Wrigley Field, you know you'll hear about it here at Cup of Cubby Blue. Danny, in the meantime, where can people find you this week? Anything fun coming up while the Mets series is going on? Uh, not not fun. Uh, I'm having surgery on Wednesday on my sinuses, so I will be going to the game on Tuesday night as my last hurrah. We'll see kind of how I am because I'm supposed to be performing on Saturday at Cafe Tola as uh, part of Sandra Marchetti's Isle 228 poetry reading of her book inspired by Wrigley Field and uh, her intersection with her family and the Cubs. And I was going to sing a couple songs over there. I may have to go uh, and sing with bloody gauze up my nose, but um, hey, that's rock and roll, baby. So I might do it anyway. But, uh, yeah, so not, I can't say this week's going to be particularly fun, but if you want to come wish me well at Wrigley Field on Tuesday night, I'll be in the left field corner somewhere. Uh, I will definitely be there to wish you well and, and get well soon, my friend. We will miss you. Um, I'll be back here to recap the Mets series with a special guest. Not entirely sure who yet, but we'll find somebody great to come talk about that Mets series preview. The weekend's festivities against the Cincinnati Reds for Memorial Day weekend. Um, And in the meantime, you can find me online at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find everything about the show at Cup of Cubby Blue. Be sure you are following us and the Fans First Sports Network for all of your Cubs season long needs. Until next time.